from the Lithia Body and Paint Sports Desk, powered by BMW of Des Moines. This is an X's and O's update on 1460 KXNO. And I'm Trent Condon. A wild night in college basketball last night got started with LSU and Kentucky. All the way to the rock. Tipped in. Is it good? Basket was reviewed and it was good. 73-71 LSU over Kentucky. You thought Iowa had a big comeback on Sunday night. How about Duke last night? Down 23 with under 10 to go. Zion Williamson pulls it away and the Blue Devils with a comeback for the ages. Duke 71, Louisville 69. The calls from ESPN. Also in the top 25 last night, Penn State upsets Michigan 75-69. In the Big 12, Kansas State continued their two-game lead in the loss column with a 71-64 victory over the Longhorns. Drake with her own victory last night as they moved to 8-5 in conference play, a game back of Loyola in the standings. Keep it tuned to KXNO all throughout today. Updates from the dual state competition at State Wrestling and play-by-play coverage begins tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. with the opening round in Class 3A. This is Iowa State Athletics Director Jamie Holland, and you're listening to Des Moines Sports Station 1460 KXNO. All right, it's time to pay your bills with 1460 KXNO and EKG Golf. Text the keyword PIZZA to 200-200 right now for your chance to win $1,000. That's PIZZA to 200-200 right now. Message and data rate supply. We'll have another one coming up here before we get out of here at noon. Well, uh, everybody's talking about the end last night of the... I think everybody's talking. Trent, is that over the top? Are a few people not mentioning this? Well, not really. If you are a sports fan, a college basketball You're fan. You're aware of this at the very least. Yes. Number one is probably still the comeback the by Duke, Duke. Yes, no doubt. But this is number two. I mean, in a night where Michigan, the front runner of the Big Ten, gets yeah, beat by Penn State, who was 1-12. Right. In a night where Kansas State keeps their two-game lead. Huge win for them. It is these two conversations dominating, and we got a guy that knows a little something-something about officiating. Indeed, and that's why he we went to him, we reached out to him, and he answered, and we're grateful for that, Brent Bloom. Hello, Bloomy. How are you? Good, guys. Uh, love the new show. Or I guess not the new show, but love the show on KX. No, you guys do a great job. Thank you, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate your help jumping on here with this. So I want to set this up from my perspective because I was under the impression, and I believe you're probably going to tell me I'm wrong, um, that I, yes, there's no question, LSU got a huge break when the, bus, uh, when the uh, bucket was tipped in. It was clearly on the cylinder, uh, and that should have been uh, offensive goaltending. Uh, Big B. Williams tipped it back in. Uh, Clearly, they caught a break. But here's where here's where I guess I don't understand, Brent. I thought that the Kentucky player, and it was, I'm not sure if it was, Trent thinks it was Washington. I thought it was Montgomery. But clearly, a wildcat stuck his hand through the cylinder, at the very least touched the net. The overhead view thought that the, uh, that the rim maybe moved a little bit. I thought that would have been goaltending. I am, apparently, I'm wrong. Yeah, and, and I, I need to look at it one more time just to see if you actually did it. But yeah, a couple things. So it gets confusing with, with what is a cylinder and what is not. So to be basket interference, so let's just start there. To be basket interference, the ball doesn't have to be on the rim. It can be anywhere above the cylinder, and the cylinder theoretically goes all the way to the ceiling. So certainly that was basket interference. The question is, did the Kentucky player, you know, did he go up through the net? And you're allowed to do that as long as you don't move the rim and or touch the ball. So 
it's weird. If the, if you do not impact the shot at all, mm-hmm. don't move the backboard, don't move the rim, then, then technically you can put your hand through the net as long as it doesn't impact the shot. So that's debatable if that would have been goaltending on the Kentucky player anyway, but that's the rule. If you don't impact the shot or the ball doesn't move, you don't touch the ri- or don't touch the rim to move the rim while the ball is on the rim, then that would not have been goaltending on the Kentucky player. But but long story short, they missed the call. Unfortunately, it's not right. reviewable. And so at that point, it's a judgment call. It was basket interference. It shouldn't have counted anyway, right. but uh, that's the way it is. So then go back a couple of years, Brent, to uh, I believe it was Salt Lake City, the tournament. It was Northwestern had finally you know, got broken through. They're in the dance. They win their first game. They were playing Gonzaga. And there was a similar scenario at the end of the game where a Zag put his hand through the, you know, through the cylinder. Uh, and maybe, I, I don't remember if he touched the rim or not, yeah. but I do remember the outcry. Was that different? I was again. If you, it depends if you touch the ball and or move the basket at all, and that would be the the difference there. But but it, those two things are not reviewable, and so it's the judgment call. Hmm. The weird thing last night was they go to the monitor and everybody thinks, oh, okay, they're going to look at this right. and overturn it, but they're not looking at basket interference or goaltending. That part is not reviewable. The timing was reviewable. So at that point, the officials look at that thing and they go, well, the basket got off in time. We blew the call. But tough break, it has to stand anyway. So that's a unfortunate situation for the, the three officials there because they knew they blew it. So you go to the monitor. We know things that aren't reviewable. Brent, is that something you'd like to see change where the refs have a little bit more freelance on what they can do when they go to the monitor and see if we miss something? Or we just open up Pandora's box if yeah. we go that route? You know, I, I'm of the opinion I think there's too much review as it is. I think you know the mm-hmm. elbow stuff, the flagrant one, flagrant two, and now that that hook and hook hold and stuff. Hook and hold is awful. It's just, yes, it's just getting out of control. And so, if we're looking at the monitor for every single little thing, I think it just bogs down the game. And you know, as officials, we always like to say that you know you always talk about the calls we miss, but the shots you miss, <laughs> the layups you miss. Right. You know, so I think there's a human element all the way around. And yeah, maybe I think goaltending basket interference is one that perhaps in the last minute could be taken a look at but those things can be so judgmental that you know is the ball on its way down is it going up still that even if you slow it down into uh you know motion, it can be difficult to tell so i'm more i'm a, a less is more guy in regards to reviewing but i think it's certainly a situation that you, you could do you know the out of bounds stuff is okay i mean right now here's the things you can, you can review guys you can review timing you can review foul calls as to who is shooting free throws or who the foul is on you can review out of bounds, and you can review those flagrants and those hook and holds. But I think if you start getting into violations and you know if it's a foul or not, mm-hmm. that's where it gets really hairy, where it can really just disrupt the flow of the game. And I think college basketball has a problem already with some of the flow of the game, and as it is as it stands right now. Mm, Brent Bloom is with us. He's in Fort Worth, Iowa State women tonight. Pre-game six, tip at six thirty. I want to say, but Bloomy will have that with Lindsey Fennelly. Uh, since we've got you, Brent, I'm, I'm not sure if you were watching the Big Ten Network on Sunday night, uh, the end of the uh, uh, of the Hawks game, Northwestern, where they essentially were mm, air quote gifted a free timeout with with the kicked ball, and they went to the how should how should basketball or should basketball do anything about that? And I don't know what it is. I mean, Iowa was, you know, again, they were out of timeouts. The officials yep. went to the monitors. McCaffrey was able to dial up a play. You saw the result. He wouldn't have been able to do that had they not gone to the monitors. But, you know, if you don't have a timeout, 
I'm just not sure that I feel like Iowa got away with them. I'm kind of glad they did. I'll be honest with you. Uh, it's helpful in our state and for what we do. But what can be done different there, Brent, if anything? I have no idea. I mean, maybe the one thing you could do is just have a hard and fast rule that in those non-timeout situations, you're not allowed to go to your bench. But what are you going to have a bodyguard not allow <laughs> right, people to yeah. go, you know, yeah. yell from across the court? It's just one of those things that's the nature of the game. You're, sometimes you get a break like that, and that's the way it is. I don't think there's any way to really over-regulate that. And if you do, then it adds just another layer to an already difficult job for the officials. But now you're trying to prevent you know, humans from talking to each other, which I think is kind of silly. Mm, K-State going to win the uh, men's, bracket, men's side of the conference? Uh, it's, it's, I mean, here's the debate we're having. If you're an Iowa State fan, I almost would rather have Kansas win another one than K-State. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is. Like, I want Iowa State to be the one to break the streak. And that game in the name is back in January yeah. really looming large. But it's, I mean, if they beat Iowa State on Saturday, I mean, it's a must win for Iowa State mm-hmm. sure if they want to compete for a tie in the conference. But if they win that, I mean, that's 10 straight Big 12 wins for them. What they're doing is actually pretty impressive, mm-hmm. as, as tough as I, it is to admit. Yeah. yeah, I saw today they're one of only three teams ever to beat all conference teams in a row. The other Is teams, that a fact? Kansas has done it twice since the formation of the Big 12, no surprise. K-State yeah, the, the first outside of that. The strange thing, Trent, is that you know they have a loss in there. The loss is on the road at a really mm-hmm. mediocre game. Texas A&M. So yeah. it's, 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 it's an odd deal. They're playing really well, and they're, you look at them and go, okay, those guys are beatable, but they're just—they're really solid. They don't make mistakes, and they've got some veteran leaders on their team that are really good. So tough tour for Iowa State in Manhattan Saturday. Yeah, and a, a long wait for it. Take us back to Saturday. What you saw—the loss on the men's side against TCU. What went wrong in your mind? You know, uh, it was weird. I, I think when Iowa State got to that it was a thirteen to four lead early, and just thought, okay, you know, TCU hasn't won a Big Twelve road game. Um, they can just kind of put it in cruise control, and then. TCU went on a 27-4 run. It was like, whoa, what's going on here? And it was catch-up from there. I honestly thought, honestly, when they did it to seven at halftime, thought they'd be those old Niang, Bonte, Naz teams where they could just turn it on and you know take care of business, but never could. And it all starts on the defensive end. You yep. give up 53 54% shooting, and it was really just poor pick-and-roll defense where TCU was getting layup after layup, and then they started to shut that down, and then they started making shots, and the thing is, TCU is a good team. I know they, they lost to Kansas on Monday, but that's an NCAA tournament team. And if you give a good team life like they did in Hilton, um, that's what's going to happen. And those two games are going to be those what if scenarios for Iowa State, State and TCU both at home is going to cost Iowa State, I think, at least from definitely an outright championship. Um, but maybe they can make amends that they have to do on Saturday. Hmm. Six o'clock airtime for you tonight? It is. Six o'clock, 6.30 tip. And uh, the Iowa State women playing very well up in the top 16 in the reveal and it's been a fun team to watch so hope folks can join us then good stuff Bloomy. hey listen i appreciate you coming on really do thank you brent all right guys i'm here to defend the indefensible <laughs> and we knew who he could call and we we're grateful you picked it up thanks Bloomy. See you guys. yep see you brent bloom again he'll have the call tonight Lindsay fennelly and Bloomy on the air at six the pregame tips from fort worth tcu tonight at uh, 6 30 so there you go kentucky uh did not commit a violation if indeed the rim didn't move. I right. saw the net move. I Yep, I saw the same. The biggest thing is I saw the camera shake. That's what From to the me, top. Yes. Yes. That's to me said there was some kind of contact thought there. that there was too, but they couldn't look at it. No. Unreviewable, and that's okay. Yeah, I guess it is. All Everything right. doesn't have to be reviewable. No, that's fine. I'm with you because, uh, it's look, the hook and hole, Trent. Oh. And what game was it last night? That, oh, it was Wisconsin. It was Davison. <laughs> 
Uh, and he didn't. There, there, there was there was no call. Well, he hooks and holds for well, thirty eight of forty minutes. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of that. Uh, he's a punk. Yeah, he's he's kind of that uh, that Woodbury kind of. Mo- if you're not a fan of yeah, Wisconsin, yeah. as you were, if you were a fan of uh, Iowa, you saw nothing wrong. Who was the oh Kraft with uh, Ohio State? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the kid at Duke last year, um, uh, Grayson Allen. Mason, uh, yes, a uh, bunch of them. Yes, punchable. Punchable faces. There's always one Christian of those. Christian Leitner. Yeah, I like Christian Leitner. I bet you did. I liked Christian Leitner's game. Yeah, but there's always one guy that uh, that everybody identifies as a dirty player. But if he's on your team, Jake Jakes at Iowa. Yeah, that's going way back. That, and he might have been the dirtiest of the group. Yeah, I mean, that's way back. Was, I remember him absolutely. I met him out of the golf course this past summer. Did you? Yeah, didn't punch me. I was happy. Nice. Uh, that's a win. Speaking of wins and losses, we've got some wrestling updates. So you're going to do that throughout the day. You'll be there tomorrow live during our show. So it'll be wrestling coverage uh, getting underway tomorrow at 10. But you've got updates throughout the day. They're brought to us by Grinnell Mutual. They are underway. What can you tell us? Well, the opening round in Class 3A has wrapped up in the dual competition down at Wells Fargo Arena, starting with the number one seed, Southeast Polka, dominating victory as they beat Western Dubuque 72-6. to Fort Dodge, tight victory over Waukee, 30. 30. It was Waverly Shell Rock over West Des Moines Valley, 50-24. And Ankeny Centennial moves on, 36-26. They've beaten Bettendorf. The semifinals, 1 o'clock this afternoon. It'll be Polk against Fort Dodge. Waverly against Ankeny Centennial. Again, 1 o'clock for that one in Class 3A. Class 2A, their quarterfinal matches have wrapped up. The number one seed moves on, West Delaware. Cresco over Davenport Assumption, 37-25. Second seeded Solon, a 51-21 win. And got to get this one in here. The number three seed in Class 2A, the Osage Green Devils. (laughs) A 47-21 win over PCM. They also will be wrestling in the 2A semifinals, also at 1 o'clock. And uh, hope to make it down there by 1 o'clock to get those. And we'll have full updates again throughout the day here on KXNO. So you'll be breaking into live programming throughout the afternoon too, as well? Yep, probably send it. You know, probably just send in like a 30-second clip. Oh, good idea. Minute yep. clip, recap it, mm-hmm. and uh, throw it in there uh, throughout the day. So we will keep you up to date. And a big thank you to Barb Baker and Grinnell Mutual. We'll have updates, not just here at wrestling and our play-by-play, but also girls' state basketball, boys' state basketball, those two weeks coming up. And when does the girls start? They get a week, There's a week break, yep, right? week off next week, and then we're back head, <laughs> headstrong into it. From the well. I should just get a cot down there or something. Yeah. Well, you're going to spend a lot of time down there, no doubt about it. We'll spend some time with Alex Halstead, uh, CycloneAlert.com. Coming up again, our thanks to Brent Bloom for a little clarity on the end of the uh, LSU-Kentucky game last night. And you're right. Everybody's talking about the Duke comeback. That, mm-hmm. That's the story from last night in college basketball. It's a big story. Um, but the Duke comeback was just improbable. Oh, no doubt. I mean, Zion Williamson with... Four fouls at 11 minutes. They sat for two minutes. They looked dead in the water. They were dead in the water, Trent, and found a way to win it and just completely overwhelmed them defensively. I mean, the Cardinal was just looking up like, holy mackerel. That didn't know what hit them. You know, I saw a really good point on Twitter, and I, I'm sorry, I can't remember who said it, but I wish I would have thought of myself last night. With the evolution of basketball, and everyone's looking for those 3 and D players, guys that are good defenders and can shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. But ball handling is not one of those requisites that people talk about. Putting pressure on teams, full-court pressure, three-quarter court pressure, maybe even can be more impactful than it was back in the day. Look at Sunday night. Look what Iowa did to Northwestern. It was with the pressure defense. Uh 
certainly started things. Now, they did some other things as well, but mm-hmm. that was as big of a, uh, a reason that they came back, I think, as any. We'll take a timeout. Alex Halstead, Bill Bender on college football uh, before we get out of here at noon. It's our first college football conversation since the day after the championship. It's been six weeks without college football. You have the shakes? I do. We'll scratch that itch in about uh, 25 minutes or so. Miller and Condon are on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. We have a Badger segment coming up that I was unaware of. (laughs) Well, Jamie Pollard. Yeah, it's a stretch, but yes, he was. Okay, all right. Uh, Welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. It's time to pay your bills with 1460 KXNO and EKG Golf. Text the keyword RUN to 200-200 right now for your chance to win $1,000. That's RUN to 200-200 right now. Message and data rates apply. Alex Halstead, Cyclone Alert, joins us for his weekly spot. We appreciate you coming on. Alex, Trent, and Ken, thanks for everything. How are you? I'm doing good. A week out of National Signing Day and moving on to 2020 recruiting, but otherwise a slow week as Iowa State works its way through this bye week, something that they've not had in the last couple of years, and I think they're glad to have it back, even though the timing this year might not come at a good time. What uh, do you have availability-wise this week? Is it pushed back till later? Have you already talked with to coaches, the coaches, you mean? Yeah, because with, with the week off, I know schedule's a little bit different. Help us out there. Yeah, we actually talked to them yesterday, um, got them early this week. Iowa State coaches, including Steve Prohm, was out recruiting Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had practice yesterday. Coach Prohm and uh, some of the assistants will be out recruiting again today, and then they'll really hunker down and Thursday and Friday have practice. So because of the bye week, there's a few off days and they went out recruiting. So we talked to Prohm and, and a few of the players yesterday. Uh, there is some football news percolating, and that has to do with a grad transfer, Cameron Watkins, who apparently the Illinois, uh, he's from Illinois, started a lot of games there. It's going to come down to Vanderbilt and Iowa State. When will he choose, and who would you say right now is his most likely destination? Yeah, this is a, a tough one because there's a couple factors on, on both sides for Cameron Watkins. I talked to him Monday. He had visited Iowa State a couple weeks ago, then visited Vanderbilt. And so he had been to both of those schools. There were other schools that wanted him to visit, and instead he's decided to cut his list. So it will come down to Iowa State and Vanderbilt. He told me he will decide within the next couple of weeks. Um, back in January, he had told me mid to you know early to mid-March. Uh, and so that timeline has moved up now that he's cut, cut his list to these two. The the interesting factor here is, you know, obviously Iowa State's got the connection. Uh, he was recruited to Illinois by Iowa State assistant Alex Golish. He was at Illinois mm. while assistant Nate Shieldhouse was there. Those two have led that recruitment for Watkins. The other factor, though, is that Vanderbilt is, is home for him. He's from Nashville. He was recruited to Vanderbilt out of high school kind of late. Um, but so there's different factors. Is is It's you know, does he want to go back close to home, or does he like the opportunity that Iowa State presents? It's a kid that, over the last three years, has started 16 games at nickel and corner for, Iowa, for Illinois, and Iowa State thinks he could have a shot to start for them next year and, and really add some depth uh, to that defensive backfield. So a late addition to the recruiting class. We had signing day last week, and then a couple days later, Deshaun Davis comes through. What can you tell us about this one and a late linebacking commit? Boy, um Mike Rose turned out pretty good last year with uh, kind of similar circumstances. What do you know about Davis? 
Yeah, it gives you some reminders of, of some of the under-the-radar guys that they've landed. This is a guy that um, had visited Iowa State. You know, They were quietly recruiting him throughout January, kind of tried to keep him quiet. He did visit uh, the weekend before signing day, February 1st through 3rd. And I think the whole thing was you know, how this was going to play out with signing day, how it was going to play out with their numbers. They ended up taking him over the weekend, you know, about three days after signing day. You know, he's a kid that early in the process, you know, you're talking last January, so more than 12 months ago, you know, had been offered by Kentucky and Bowling Green and Toledo and, and some of those Mac schools. And then a year later, I think things had slowed for whatever reason. He's a kid from Cleveland, um, six foot one, 215 pounds. And Iowa State is bringing him in as a linebacker. So a late addition, a kid that's probably going to be their lowest rated kid commit of the class you know a low three-star but they've they have you know uncovered some kids like that especially in the midwest whether you look at will mcdonald who had no interest really when Iowa state took him you know flipping mike rose from ball state um and you know they're hoping that you know Deshaun davis is is the next in line with guys like that well rose is going to be uh who knows how where his ceiling is before he gets done and mcdonald looks like he's a a player in his own right um you know, Tom Manning's been a big talker. I know that you wrote a piece for him at uh, at twenty four seven Sports Cyclone Alert. What's going to be different? I mean, his one year away. What kind of uh, will Iowa State see a different or hear a different coach when he gets back into the uh, offensive room? Um, what do you expect from Tom Manning after one year away? Yeah, I asked Matt Campbell that. I asked um, Tom Manning that. I talked to him last week, and I asked even Alex Golish, you know, the tight ends coach. And they all kind of agree that there's going to be some wrinkle, that there's going to be something that he brings back that's different. Um, you know, Matt, Matt Campbell said that it, the Indianapolis Colts offense was kind of like a college-like offense in the NFL. I think if you watch them a little bit, they did some different things with motion. I think, you know, one thing that Alex Gores told me is that, if anything, you know, Tom Manning now has an appreciation for a different position. His whole life he's coached offensive line. He coached an all-pro tight end last year and Eric Ebron, who – I think had 60 catches, 750 yards, 13 touchdowns. He, he saw different ways they used him, especially flexed out. And, you know, I think that's the biggest thing that I think could play into things. You know, you lose 108 targets from Hakeem Butler. That's not probably all going to be replaced at the receiver position. It's probably going to be replaced by, you know, guys we've talked about on here before, Charlie Kohler, uh, Chase Allen at the tight end position. And there's a lot of belief that he brings back some different principles and some different ideas in ways they can use those tight ends, especially flexed out. So I think that's one thing. And then the other thing Tom Manning told me specifically was, you know, he's going to coach the running backs, and he thinks that's going to allow him to have a better overview of the offense. You know, when he's coaching the line, he's coaching five guys at the same time, trying to get them in the right spots. Coaching running backs is a little bit easier where you're, you're not always focused on everything that's going on up front, and he thinks that'll help him, you know, with a general overview of the offense a little bit more. Talk with Alex Halstead from CycloneAlert.com. Joining us, it's Miller and Condon on KXNO. Alex, let's get into basketball. The long week here. You mentioned the conversations with the the guys that you had yesterday. How long of a week is this, and how how stinging is it just the way the schedule sets up, having to wait till Saturday? Yeah, this time last week, you know, Steve Crone was saying he thought this this was going to be a nice stretch to have the bye week, and then they lost. And I think now he's kind of saying this. It's not not the best time and you'd rather be playing, I think is what he said. But at the same time, he said they, they do need some time off. They need some time to you know, heal up, even though it's just probably minor nicks and bruises and just general soreness. He, he thinks it is a good time to get some time off, and it also gives them a full week to prepare for uh, Kansas State. But 
you know, the, the thought yesterday when we were talking to Steve Cromie and players is really their defense was obviously bad against TCU. You know, there's a lot of talk about ball screen defense after the game. Steve Cromie said, you know, looking back, that wasn't very good. But he said it was more so than just ball screen defense. It was kind of the secondary defense. It was the first line of defense wasn't bad. It was kind of the back end that cost them and was the reason they gave up, you know, 20 of 33 makes were layups or dunks. Mm. So that's a, that's the a thing they have to fix. Um, but he said a lot of it, too, is they, they just missed shots. He said, you know, they missed layups, they missed free throws, they were wide open threes. Um, he didn't seem like he was displeased with many of their shots. It's just, for whatever reason, they didn't make them, and then it, it did seem to affect their defense. Shayok's uh, finishing, you know, mid-teens, upper-teens, 16, 17 points, uh, but it, but he hasn't been uh, real effective. And he, here's, my, here's my thought on, on Shayok. He's, but once these things start falling, he's he's liable to go off for thirty one day here because he's just missed so damn many shots that normally they were falling earlier this year. If he gets going, look out because he's certainly capable of doing so. And wouldn't it be a good spot to start and have that happen to him in Manhattan? Because this K State team, although they're not deep, they're uh, they're old. They got a bunch of seniors, a bunch of juniors uh, playing in that starting lineup. Uh, Shayok, if he gets going, look out because uh, boy, he seems like he's due. Yeah, he's been kind of up and down over the last over really Big Twelve play. There was a stretch where he was missing a lot of layups and 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 whatnot. But then there were a couple games straight where he was just really good for them, really efficient, really good from beyond the arc. Um, and then the last couple, it's kind of kind of back to the inconsistency. And he's still, like you said, he's finishing with sixteen or twenty four points, even in games that you would probably say aren't aren't great games. Um, I, I agree. I think he is the key to Saturday's game. You look at. His worst game of the year was Kansas State when they lost by one at, at Hilton. That was the only game this year that Shayak has not scored in double figures. Um, Kansas State held him to nine points, I think, on four of nine shooting. Um, the big talking point after that game was, you know, he was just frustrated. They, you know, Bruce Weber had said after that game that, that their game plan was to try to take Shayak away, was to try to frustrate him, and it worked. You know, Steve Combs said after the game that, you know, he had to talk to Shayak and say, hey, you, just, you know, if they're not calling stuff, you can't worry about the fouls or not or or whatever, you've got to just keep playing because their whole thing was trying to deny him the ball or knock him off the ball, and I think that frustrated him. So I think he's going to be a key Saturday because um, because of the reasons you said. He, he's got to give them something against a defense that right now I think ranks like number six. It might, it might have changed with last night's game against Texas, but I think Kansas State's been um, top ten in adjusted defense really for quite a while now. Alex, when you uh, go through and you look at this uh, Kansas State matchup and how big it is, pertaining to the regular season title. The importance for for this team to do something like that, or are they looking more big picture? Has there been much conversation about a, a regular season title? There there has been. I don't think the teams talk to us to us about, about it much. Um, it seems to have tempered a little bit, I think, because of the TC loss and then combined with since then, you know, Kansas State's also won two, and now all of a sudden Iowa State's two games back in the Big 12. So now I think it's, it seems to be more amongst, you know, solidifying their NCAA tournament seating. You know, are they in the four, five, six range, wherever they're at? That seems to be a little bit more of a talker right now. But that that whole thing can shift probably with with Saturday's game. If Iowa State loses Saturday, Kansas State's all of a sudden ten and two and pretty much commanding control of the Big Twelve. If Iowa State beats Kansas State on Saturday, they're back within a game. Uh, it keeps Kansas in play because Kansas has West Virginia Saturday. And then all of a sudden the race gets interesting. But this is a big game for, I think, both teams. One, Friar State, because they need to, if they're going to have any chance to be in the conversation in the last couple of weeks, they have to win Saturday probably. Otherwise, they fall back three games. 
And, you know, for Kansas State, if they can move to 10 and 2, it's hard to think that even with us, you know, maybe even if they fall off a little bit, it seems like at 10 and 2, you're probably going to at least share the title if you just finish okay. Indeed. Kansas would have to run the table in all likelihood. And that would mean that game over K State. Uh, it looks as though you're right, Alex. I mean, if, if Iowa State is not able to get past them, K State, and they're clearly in the driver's seat today, I think that just solidifies things. Alex, thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Cyclone Alert. Alex Halstead, part of 24 7 Sports. Appreciate it, Alex. Yeah, thanks, guys. Good to talk to you. Alex Halstead uh, chiming in. We're going to uh, switch gears, talk to Bill Bender next. A couple of college football issues that are percolating out there. I thought mm-hmm. we have a pretty good opportunity to pick Bill's brain. Uh, since you and I started over here, we have not had Bill Bender with the exception, I think, of Championship Monday. Right. Uh, Bill's one of our, I think he's our, we lock him in on Wednesdays throughout the college football season and every other week seemingly as we get closer to it. We're grateful to have him. Uh, we'll talk to Bill Bender next as we continue on here. It's Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. Your home for Iowa State women's basketball is right here. This is head coach Bill Family on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Hi, welcome back. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Portions of the program brought to you by FullerDental.net. Uh, Dr. Stephen Fuller, he's my dentist. If you're new to the area, you move to the eastern part of Polk County, or it's been a long time since you've been to the dentist. It's time for somebody else. Two locations, 2822 East 29th Street in Des Moines. They're also in Altoona, 410 8th Street Southwest in Altoona. Dr. Stephen Fuller. Find them on the web, fullerdental.net or East 29th Street, 8th Street Southwest in Altoona. Well, he's the Sporting News' college basketball, college football rather, columnist, but they move him around a bunch. Cavaliers, when they're good they won't be anymore no no did a lot of stuff in the nba playoffs for us the indians mm-hmm. and their world series or playoff runs and got the columbus regional coming up but he's a college football guy at heart and we love having him on bill bender from the sporting news bill trent and ken long time how have you been we've missed you yeah i was just telling trent the same it's good to be back home with you guys i i actually was looking at bracketology stuff yesterday and sold Des Moines, and I was like, I haven't talked to those guys in a while, so it's almost like you read my mind. Indeed we did. Well, you know, a couple of college uh, football things I want to get with you, and I want to start with Justin Fields, and the news that he is going to be immediately eligible at Ohio State, leaves Georgia most of the times. You have to sit out a year. Well, that's not the case. Bill, are we seeing maybe a a softening here? And I'm not saying the floodgates are opening, or maybe they are. And maybe if you're willing to transfer out of your conference, it's made easier. What uh, what precedent perhaps might be, we be seeing when it comes to transferring in college football? Um, I think it's going to continue to be more player-friendly. In a way me. I guess the one Ken that would get me is let's say Tate Martell gets one. And mm-hmm. uh then I'll kinda raise my eyebrows. I'm currently like as we speak, I'm working on this uh just kinda looking at all the transfers that are gonna be on the field next year. And I mean we're talking about big names. Uh Kelly Bryant, Jalen Hurt, um Hunter Johnson will be in the Big Ten West. Yep. And that's a name to file away. Sure is. He should have a big year. Um but I to answer your question, I think we're getting closer to guys being able to transfer without sitting at all rather than, you know, moving back towards the old rules where, you know, it was very hard to get a waiver. 
Does does conference play a role in that meeting? If you like, your feels case, he transferred from the SEC to the Big Ten. If he would have decided to stay in the SEC, might they have been maybe not as kind or not so willing to grant him that uh, eligibility? Is that do you think will that come into play, Bill? I you know if I had my here here are the few things I would do if I could reform if you let me be commissioner for like yes you seconds. can be <laughs> <laughs> I would let him transfer one time let him transfer wherever they want to go. So if an Iowa kid wants to go to Illinois, go for it. You know, they, I, I just not want to tell a kid where he can and can't go to school. Um, but I think the second time, if they transfer a second time, you got to sit a year. And, and I would make it really hard to get a waiver then. Because that way, I think you, you then it doesn't become this free agency that people are worried about. And I think that's a fair way to do it, a fair way to make it athlete-friendly, and a fair way for – you know, coaches to evaluate their rosters. I, I thought Ryan Day had an interesting idea last week. He said teams should be limited to two transfers per year. I don't know if that's a good idea because, uh, you know, some years you might have more turnover than others. Bill Bender joining us. Bill, there will be no transfer for the offensive line at Wisconsin, though they do lose another piece of that. John Dietzen retiring because of injuries. The Big Ten West, we saw how open it was this year with the Badgers taking a step back and Northwestern stepping forward. Now they're real rebuilding that offensive line, just one starter back up front for the Badgers. Who's your favorite right now? Who's the team, if I put you down and said, hey, Commissioner, I need a pick in the Big Ten West, where would you go? <laughs> I'd probably, it's tough, because I think all you could make a case for six of the seven. I, I'll say this, I don't think Illinois can win the six. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. them off, yeah. and... Uh, you know, there's a case for Iowa with what they've got coming back, particularly on the defensive line. Uh, Wisconsin is probably who I would pick, but that's almost the default setting. They're going to need to be better in the passing game. I think Northwestern, Minnesota, Purdue all feel good for various reasons, and people are going to – Nebraska will probably get a, a healthy offseason bandwagon, as they usually do. So that, to me, you kind of look at the crossover games a little bit. The team I'd keep an eye on is Minnesota just because they have a friendly, really friendly crossover schedule, and they are set up for a fast start. And they were really young last year, and they uh, finished the season uh, by winning their bowl game. I'm with you. I think the the boat's being rowed in the right direction. Uh, We'll see what kind of speed it can get to, no doubt about that. Hey, I want to ask you about the Alliance in a couple of minutes, but let me get to Kyler Murray first of all. You watched a ton of college football. You saw him play. He's going to get to the Combine, Bill, and as you well know, it's one thing to be listed in a school's media guide at 5'11 or 5'10, but then they actually you know, tell you to take your shoes off. You can leave your socks on, but get over here. We're going to measure you. It's going to be accurate. And he may or, not, may or may not be even 5'9. What kind of NFL quarterback is he going to be? Well, I, I, real quick, when I played in high school basketball, I always told the coach to put me like three inches shorter. So, like, the opponent would think, you know, maybe if they read the bio or something, it said, like, 5'8", and then I'd come out there and make them laugh. But I think Murray can play. I, I, I mean, obviously, he thinks he can. A lot of NFL GMs must feel the same way. Here's a couple things with it, though. One, I think the team that drafts him is going to be pressured to play him soon, right? So I don't know that he'll get a chance to sit because of that curiosity factor. And the other part, the only th- I'm not worried about his height. I'm more worried about... How many hits is he going to take with that frame? Mm -hmm. He's not a big guy. But we're also talking about a guy that was the best player, arguably one of the best players ever in Texas high school history, won a Heisman Trophy. Reminds me a little bit of Michael Vick in that 
it's just something we we've never really seen. So I say, why not? Let's see if he can do it and enjoy it along the way. Bill, uh, a couple of things, uh, bigger picture with college football. Back to when we talked to you last, right before the national championship game. The growing divide between the haves and the haves-nots and, and the shrinking list of, list of the haves on there. Is it danger time for college football as a whole? Um, I don't know if it's a danger time, but I, do, I will say this, that we're in a spot now where it's a little bit of a problem that as you guys know, we talk so much during the season that I'm already doing bull projections. And how do you not put Clemson, <laughs> right. Alabama, yeah. Georgia, you know, the same names over and over again. And I think part of it is there's this gap between that top and kind of like, I think Peter Burns puts, always puts us best, this, this college football middle class where I mean, you saw the gap between Michigan and Ohio State. Michigan was a 10-win team. You see the gap between, you know, Oklahoma and the rest of the Big 12. Though I think Texas, Texas. I'm not going to say Texas isn't back, but they're getting really close. Mm -hmm. I think they're a team that could compete for a playoff first next year. I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm going to go one step further, Bill. I'm going to say they are back. I'm not sure they're going to... You know, win a playoff game, but I'm with you. I think they're the team to beat in the in, in the Big Twelve and and get that that playoff appearance. Ellinger's going to be a, one of the uh, Heisman favorites. I don't think there's any doubt about it. They really impressed me down the stretch. Well, uh, having said that, Bill Bender, I want to ask you about the Alliance of American Football. Um, this week is going to be very telling. We saw the XFL debut to outstanding ratings, and then it just completely crashed and crashed very quickly. What do you expect this week? I think the football is better. I'll be honest, I struggled getting into it. Maybe it was just I've never seen those uniforms before. I'm not used to these teams. Uh, I'm going to give it another chance, I believe, this weekend, not knowing what it's up against, if there's a game I have to watch basketball-wise. But just after week one, your thoughts. No, I thought it was great, and here's why. I don't know if I'm worried about the ratings so much. It's, it's it's something we can relate to because it's not the CFL, it's not the Arena League, it's not, you know, the rules are pretty much consistent with the NFL. I, I thought the level of play was decent. Quarterback's going to need work, mm-hmm. but, you know, that's why they're not in the NFL. Uh, these guys were playing hard. I enjoyed it. That, that's what I'm trying to say is I thought I really enjoyed it. It was watchable. And I was telling people, one, if I had a choice between that and minor league baseball, I'd probably watch the AAF. I would take my kids up. And that's my second point is, two, and you guys, again, Iowa would appreciate this because, you know, put a team in Iowa City. Hmm. Put a team in, uh, you know, Columbus. I I think the Columbus team would do well, especially if you have – what Birmingham did was they, they put a bunch of Alabama and Auburn guys on the roster. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing anything on a Saturday night in February. I, I, would, I would go see it. Interesting. Yeah, interesting to see how it kind of plays out and goes forward from there. Bill, last week we had National Signing Day with the new signing day of December, second year of that. Boy, what a thud. How about you? On the national scale, did you get much run out of that at all? No, I mean, because we get it all the first time, and then that's right in the middle of the bull season, and it's kind of mm-hmm. what used to be kind of a holiday for all of us, right? We would all get real excited about it. Now it's kind of just, it comes and goes, and we go about our day. I think, you know, part of it is the guys that cover recruiting do such a good job with it. They really do, and I'm not saying anything negative about it. I just think with that crystal ball culture we have with recruiting that... um 
kind of takes the drama out of it, right? So I, I think that's part of it. And then just having two separate days, it can be a little bit confusing. But the, the, the entire calendar has gotten pushed up to the point that I think the next step is, you know, what if high school kids start skipping their senior year? Oh, boy. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Hey, Bill, the, the one thing that I took away from this, the surprise was Texas A&M and what Jimbo Fisher is doing. Is that concern for the SEC? Texas A&M, in our lifetimes, we're about the same age in our late 30s, Bill. Historically disappointing. Is A&M on the way up? Yeah, I mean, the recruiting's there. And he did recruit well at Florida State. And I, I had said, I know I've said this on your show last year, I thought within two to three years they'd probably be the competition for Alabama in the West. Um, but LSU did well too. So... I think the recruiting wars in Texas just stamped up, and it's not a secret that if Texas did the same thing, Texas and Texas A&M, you keep those kids in the state, you're going to do well. And I think they are, like you said, it's been a long time. I don't think they've won a national championship since the 40s. So that dateless plaque, maybe there's a (laughs) chance. I do, but if you look at their schedule next year, it's unfair. You know, they play LSU, Georgia at the end. They play Alabama. They play Clemson. They get through that schedule with ten wins. It'd be a heck of an accomplishment. Mm. Bill, great to catch up with you. Thank you. We will uh, talk to you more frequently. That's for certain. As we crawl towards well, spring ball, and there's always college football topics, and we appreciate you coming on to discuss them. Thank you, Bill Bender from the Sporting News. Appreciate it. Hey, glad to be back with you guys. Thanks Good to so talk to you. Talk to you soon. All right, buddy, Bill Bender, Sporting News. Read him at SportingNews.com. Him and his colleague Vinny Iyer who's a friend of the program on the NFL, but mm-hmm. Bill Bender is very much in tune. All right, speaking of in tune, what are yeah. you going to tune into tonight? Is there... I'm going to watch Nebraska-Minnesota, and That's I don't where know I why. Was. Yeah, I mean, the top 25 matchups, good teams are at home against bad teams. So It's, it's different than... Good teams can go on the road against bad teams. And it's Saw different. that last night in uh, Happy Valley, Penn yes. State. Right. So because of that, pretty lackluster Is there an tonight. early game? Does Rutgers Northwestern do anything yes, for you? Yes, and you know what? That's the one I looked at. And because the only reason, Rutgers yes, is Saturday. Iowa. And that's Big Ten. It's got to be Big Ten Network. I, I would think so. Texas Tech's at Oklahoma State. Uh, it is Big Ten Network. Not, Texas Tech's at Oklahoma State? No, Oklahoma I want to watch. Oklahoma State, they're, they're going deep into the well for those walk-ons, too. Mm-hmm. They have like three of them dressed up. No, they do. Texas Lovely. Tech will win that game. Uh, no, I'm going to watch Rutgers because they play the Hawks on Saturday. What time is that game? Is it 5? That sounds right. Yeah, I want to say five. Sold out at the Rutgers Athletic uh, Zuba Mahente sent us a little email just to remind us. The rack. The rack sold out. Uh, we'll be back. Well, Trent's got wrestling tomorrow, so I'll talk to you on Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're into high school wrestling, Trent will have updates throughout the day, brought to us by Grinnell Mutual Reinsurance. Then tomorrow during our show, live play-by-play. Thank you for being with us. It's the Miller & Condon Show on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO.